0: Good morning everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Good, uh, I'm the other half. of You had Carl last week who's the regional minister for uh, mission. I'm the other half. I'm the regional minister for ministry. So I have the same number of churches. My responsibility in the southwest is to look after churches and ministers and NAMs and do I do the disciplinaries as well. I do the safeguarding and I do all our national stuff. And so that's why I'm not here every Sunday because I'm out and about preaching. But it's a real privilege to be here today. But before I say anything, we're going to have a video clip. Jackanori. Jackanori. How many of you can remember Jackanori? Yeah. Uh, When I was a When I was a child, we used to come home and have to do a little bit of homework. And as soon as that music came on, it was a time to stop and listen to the story. And You you can remember all the different characters. Bernard Cribbins, remember Bernard Cribbins? 111 different stories he shared. And there was uh, Kenneth Williams, and there was all sorts of uh, people. And it started in 1965, I think, and and it went on and on and on. My children remember people like Rick Mayle uh, reading the, the story. And it was always a special time that the children's programs are about to start. And I just wonder with the disciples, when uh, they were going around their business and Jesus says, uh, one of two things, he'll either say, you know, the kingdom is like, or I'm going to tell you a story. You can imagine what was happening. There they were. Simon, sit down. Peter, shut up. Mark, you sit over there. Jesus is going to tell us one of those stories a parable and they were all there waiting. And we went through a series of parables and earlier this year and asked if I'd preach a couple of times and I said I would. He said uh, he noticed that one of the dates I could do was Palm Sunday so he said I'm going to choose you your parable for that one uh, uh, the, uh, Jesus cursing the fig tree. So that's fine uh, and I said to him and this I've got to own up. I made a big mistake. I said to him I'll have what's left Could we can have the PowerPoint, up, please? Thank you. I will have what's left. Well, I'm just going to illustrate here. That's right. It's not a great deal to this parable. Who on earth of you lights a candle and puts a bowl over it? How many of you? Right, next parable. Here we are. I've got some soil in here. The farmer, let's see what seeds these are. Uh, sweet peppers. Let's plant some in. So we're told that the farmer plants some seeds in. Let's push them down. He waits day and night and they grow. Come on. The last hymn now is And I looked at these parables, and I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? Why these parables? And then I started to pray, and I started to read into the parables, and I started to realize, actually, they are some of the most demanding parables, particularly this first parable. One of the most demanding parables we are going to have. In fact, if you had to categorise a parable and put a certificate rating, in a sense, this is an X-rated parable because it actually demands something of us. There's an expectancy of what Jesus wants from us. And it's here. He says to them, Is a lamb brought in to be put under a bushel or a basket or under a bed and not a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except disclosed, nor anything secret except to come to light. If anyone hears, listen. Then he says to them, pay attention to what you hear, for the measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For those who have more, uh, who have, more will be given. For those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And you see here, what Jesus is doing is posing a rhetorical question for all the people that are standing there, all the disciples that are sat around. And it was a question that would be even quite comic for the children that would have been gathered there because you know, you don't light a, light, a candle and then put it under a basket. You don't light a candle and put it under a bed. Do you know why? Because it's going to catch light. It's going to burn. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. The purpose of the light is to light up a room. It is to light. Let's light it again. That's the whole purpose of the candle. To light. You, you elevate, you put it up on a stand so the light will be trans- transferred all around the room. You'll put it in the most prominent part of the house. you put it on a stand to improve its uh, output. So what do you do? You actually elevate the lamp. Bingo, says Jesus. That's what I want you to do. So is he talking actually of a lamp? What lamp is he talking about? Should the lamp be put on the stand? Should it be hidden? What sort of light, lamp should be shining? What sort of response is Jesus asking of us? What is the light? Well, if you read through the scripture, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you will discover that it's actually uh, a common metaphor that's used through Old and New Testaments. And there's an understanding, a symbolic understanding of uh, light and God and his presence. It also is sometimes used in the fulfilment of his word. word. But is this simply a light for the presence of God or is it a light for fulfilment of his word or is it something more? Is he guiding us towards a specific lamp? If you go to uh, verse uh, 21, he, he says to them, do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or uh, a bed, instead, don't you put it on a stand. If your Bible is like my Bible, it says uh, there, do you bring, or was it brought? Which makes sense, doesn't it? You bring a lamp into a room, unless you have one, a very unusual lamp, that has its own legs and walks itself in, which would be really strange, you actually bring the light into the room. The wording in Greek is actually even more confusing than that. It says, uh, does the lamp come? You can see why it's not translated directly. It says, does the lamp come? Now, is he talking about a specific lamp? A particular lamp? Does it come of its own accord? What could Jesus possibly be referencing here? Well, if you skip on in the scripture to John 1, it says the true light... That gives light to everyone was coming into the world. You see, Jesus is the light, he is the light of light. God introduces Jesus as the light. And a little later on in the chapter, he, he records this. Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And see that word there, come. That word is exactly the same Greek word that we have in Mark four. The lamp Jesus is talking about is himself, the lamp. The lamp does not come to be put under a basket. It is not there to be put under a piece of furniture. It is to be put on a stand. So in answer to Jesus' rhetorical question, the place and the purpose of my coming is that you, he says to the disciples, you put me in a prominent place in your life. Jesus is saying, obviously you don't hide a lamp under a bowl. He says, I come to be elevated. The proper response to God's coming, the response to the Redeemer, the hope of Israel, the hope to the world, is that you elevate Jesus. But then we get to verse 22, then it gets a little bit more cryptic. And it says there, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. What's he saying here? Well, if you read Mark's Gospel, sometimes uh, Jesus does something miraculous and then he says to them, don't tell anyone, keep it a secret. And Jesus has been going about his ministry for, just halfway through his ministry, he's been around for 30 years as well, And the disciples and a lot of people would know that he isn't that well known in the locality. Even though he's the son of God, the saviour. And you can imagine the disciples saying, hey Lord, why don't you put yourself on the stand? Let everyone see who you are. But what Jesus says here in verse 22 is, well, parents know this and they understand sometimes there's a time and place for something to be revealed. Now I'm going to take you back to Christmas time. And uh, have you ever gone out, told your children you're going out to buy their Christmas presents, you go out, you fill the boot with the presents, you get that Xbox they really wanted, and then you actually go back home, you, just, you don't bother wrapping it, you throw it under the tree, and say, there you are, kids. How many of you have ever done that? Good, you don't. It's a covert affair, isn't it? you sneak out, you make an opportunity so they don't know where you're going you sneak into the shop, you buy the Xbox that they really want and what happens then, you make sure they're not around when you take it home then you then you hide it in a place that they're never likely to find it up in the loft space and if you're anything like me you then wrap up a smaller box and you put it in the bottom of the wardrobe with their name on it (laughs) because you know that's where they're going to be searching don't you? and uh, so they, they find it that's what they're expecting on the day and then then on the day you actually you you ha- you give them the presents and they see this small box that they've already discovered then you produce that other box the bigger box with the X box in it and when you, they open that you are the greatest dad and mum in the world and you have a camera and you're ready to capture the moment you've just got to get that moment right don't you I mean, it doesn't always work. I I remember um, one of my daughters, uh, Beth, um, she always wanted this one doll. And it was the doll for the year. And we couldn't get it in Sheffield. I went to Derby, Leeds, Nottingham, Manchester, and I could not get this doll. This one present she really wanted. Uh, My brother, who lives in the south, was travelling around, and he managed to locate the doll in Plymouth. And he sent it up. So we had this, what she always wanted. Well, a week before Christmas, she was playing up. So I pinned her to the settee and I said, Bethany, if you don't behave, you're not going to get the present you really, really, really want. And she stopped and smiled and said, I'm getting a bike. Sometimes you want the perfect unveil. She was pleased when we unveiled uh, the doll. And she was also disappointed she didn't get a bite. But, <laughs> but this is what Jesus is saying about himself. Was, Paul records in Galatians, but when the set time has fully come, God sent his son. This is what it is. God's perfect timing. A perfect moment in history where he unleashes his power through Jesus on this planet Earth. The salvation, the hope, and the reconciliation all comes when God times it. What's the point in Jesus putting these two verses together? That's your call, my friends. That's my call. Simply to put Jesus on the stand. Elevate Jesus. Don't worry about the timing. That's God's business. That's, his pra- uh, that's, that's what he does. What's the practical application for this? Well, our job is to put the light on the stand, through our lives. And yet, you know, we all make the excuses, don't we? Oh, you know, they're not ready for the lamp, and you know if I brought out the lamp, I brought Jesus out in my life, you know, it might make them feel a bit uncomfortable. Well, I can hide it in my pocket, um, or, uh, you know, if I brought it into the workplace, would it be the right time? They're not ready for it. I'm a people person, I understand people, I know where they're coming from, uh, and I think they might feel uncomfortable about seeing the light, Uh, I'll do it in my time. And God says, no. Jesus says, no, wrong. Jesus says, all I'm asking you to do is shine the light. It's a powerful parable because it's not about your timing. It's about God's timing. I'll always remember, I had uh, in my second pastorate, we we used to have uh, scouts and uh, guides and we had a parade service. And we had this guy came for the first time with his son who was in the Cubs and the first thing he said to me, the first thing he said to me after the service, you're never going to convert me. And do you know what I said? You're right. Do you know I've never converted anyone. I said, all I've got to do is tell you about Jesus. And I said, God does the rest. Do you know, within a year we baptised him? <laughs> and he stood up and gave that testimony about how he said he was never going to come to know Jesus. Our job is to... To lift up the light, to elevate the lamps. Make, we make it much harder than it has to be. Our call, our command, our response. If we want to see fruit in our, our lives, if we want to accomplish the purpose of God set before us, we simply need to trust God in His timing. He's planted you in the right place at the right time, on the right street, in the right workplace. That you're. Sometimes some of the people we are going to come across, will the only time they'll ever see anything of Jesus is through us in that one moment of time. We just need to shine the light. Jesus says, "This is how you bear fruit: shine the light, live Jesus, let Jesus shine through you." Uh, many years ago, I, I used to play rugby, and uh, I used to play just down the road, uh, Wellington, uh, and I was in. I'll never forget my first game uh, playing for Wellington First. Uh, it was a brutal game. I got battered, um, and it was against, I think it was Wyverliska. Never play all right And uh, dirty, dirty, dirty. Uh, I, I got battered, um, and there we are afterwards. we were in this big, you know, they had these big baths. You're all washing off all the mud, and this big prop forward says, "Nigel, you're a Christian." So what makes you say that? He said, because you're, I saw how much you got battered, and he said, You're the only person on this field that did not swear. I just, I just couldn't believe it. He recognised that just because I didn't swear. There was a downside to it. Do you know, the club would never buy me a beer afterwards? <laughs> I always had a, a pint of orange juice. It was always there waiting for Nigel's pint of orange juice. <laughs> Bless them. <laughs> oh, Elevate the lamp. Elevate it in your home. If you want to see impossible things happen, elevate Jesus. And let the light shine. Now is the time to do it. That's the first response. Shine the light. Elevate the lamp. It's an urgent call. But we also need to live the truth. See what it says in verses 23 to 24. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear Consider carefully what you hear, he continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Look at those back-to-back phrases. Anyone has ears, then he said, let them hear. Be careful what you hear. Be prepared to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. Now, there's something about the uh, we need to understand that the, the culture in which Jesus was talking to was a hearing culture, a listening culture, We're not a listening culture. You you can tell that. um, Just go on the tube train. No one ever talks to each other. If you're ever in a crowd and you don't want to speak to anyone, what do you do? We ignore people, but we just use our, our phones. And Sarah would tell you that I'm not great at listening. She says, I can never work out whichever, what is your deaf side, because whatever side I'm at seems to be the deaf side. <laughs> and, gentlemen, you, you know the story, you know, and this is, this is classic for me. I own up, please, I do own up. Uh, Nigel, are you going into the village. Yes, I'm going into the village. She said, well, will, you, uh, will you mind popping into co op? There are other supermarkets out there, I'll just let you know. So I pop into co-op, and I say, yeah, I'll going to co-op, what do you want? She'll say some uh, tomatoes, uh, eggs, cheese, and milk. I get to co-op, and I'm sat, stood there thinking, tomato sauce, onions, broccoli, and I think it's milk. You know, and and you, you know why? Because I've got a phone with me, I can text her it's a good job I can't read her mind. No, I can read her mind. I know exactly what she's thinking. When she receives that text, what did you want? (laughs) He didn't listen again. Do I can say all that today because Sarah's not here. (laughs) Sarah's actually on a sponsor cycle ride for for the hospice this morning. Uh, 40 odd miles, bless her. Um, I've got to pick up the pieces later. (laughs) Um, But we've got to live the truth. That's that's what we're asked to do. And listen. Did you know that when Jesus was speaking to those first listeners, only three percent of people living in Palestine knew how to write or read. And if you expanded that to the Roman Empire, they reckon there was only ten percent would actually know how to read and write. And a lot of those would only know how to write their name and read their name. So they had it was an oral culture. And so they had, uh, one scholar said, this is a culture where they spoke to be remembered and listened to be memorised. This is the way that they lived. So when Jesus said, let them have ears, uh, let them hear, he was uh, and saying, be careful, pay attention, because he's not just talking about the act of listening. A little early on in the passage, just before that that we had read to us, it says there, this, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything has has uh, been said in parables, so they may never see, but uh, may ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. What's that about? But now he's started to separate hearing and understanding. And you can hear something, and it sometimes doesn't take root in your heart. Now he's taking it to a different level. And he says uh, in James, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So James is saying the height of deception is recognising the truth, acknowledging the truth, applauding the truth and then doing nothing about it. Jesus is talking about hearing that tr- actually translates into our living in the things that we do in our daily lives. And actually the Greek, of this part of, the, uh, this, uh, of, uh, of Mark 4 here, is saying, seeing what you are hearing. What does that mean? It means that it's got to be... What you hear from the God's Word needs to be translated in every part of your life. You've got to be very careful. You've got to listen very carefully indeed. I love that story of the minister who went, he was called to this church, and he preached his first sermon. And, you know, they, all the church members were there going, Oh, oh we've done such a great job of appointing this person. Oh, he's, he's such a great preacher. He's fabulous. And the following Sunday, stood up and preached exactly the same sermon. And everyone's looking around and going, has he made a mistake? Or oh, we'll let him go this week. Third week, guess what he did? Preached exactly the same sermon. Well, the church members getting a bit upset by this, nudged the deacons. The deacon you're going to have a word with them. It's three weeks on the trot. So one of the deacons went up to him and said, do you know that you've actually preached same sermon three weeks he says yes he says and when you do something about it I'll preach a new one <laughs> what we hear we've got to put into action and actually do you cannot live the truth unless you uh, have heard and been exposed to the word of God and that you are satur- saturated in the word of God and that's why it's important to be here today We're sitting under the word of God, asking, Lord, what does this word mean to us? How does it impact on our lives? How how can we live out what you want us to be? Because careful hearing ought to translate into careful living. It starts with hearing, here in the church. And guess what? It comes right back down to you shining the light, loving the truth, meaning that you interact with the word. Maybe at the beginning of the year, you were one of those many Christians, and I've come across them, many of them, who decide that throughout the year, they're going to read the Bible. You know, they, they have different patterns. They've got apps you can download, programs they can get, and all uh, they divide. I've known one person count up the number of pages and divide it by 365, so I'm going to read this number of pages. And, and they get stuck on January the 8th. You know the ones? And then they get start feeling guilty about it, that they're still stuck on January the 8th. And uh, what, what's, what happens is that they don't really progress any further. Don't worry about getting stuck on January 8th. Just open up the Scriptures. What is God saying to you? Open up daily God's Word and just allow that to feed and med- uh, meditate through your lives. There was a, 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 some, uh, there was a research that served 1,000 churches, 250, and 250 Christians, and a part of the study revealed that nothing has a greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. If churches could do one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship uh, with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire and encourage and equip people to read the Bible. My friends, daily meditate on the Word. And the final thing here is really don't hold anything back. Uh, what does it say on verse 24? Consider carefully what you hear, he continued, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has been given more, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And the translation of this phrase, those who give the most will receive the most. Those who give of themselves, who give away, the people who empty themselves, strangely, paradoxically, become those who are most full. How does this play out practically? The measure you use will be measured back to you. Take the knowledge of Jesus and share Jesus and you will learn more about Jesus. If you want to know more in a relationship, give more in a relationship and you will receive more back. And Jesus says you've got to give away. You have to shine the light because the more you shine, the brighter the light will become. The more you conceal the light, the dimmer the light will become the measure you use will be measured back to you. And you will find this all through scripture. Do you know that God only blesses that which you give to him? Those things that you hide from him, he cannot bless. Jesus says, uh, God is good. He's worth trusting. Don't compartmentalize things and say, I'll give God this and I'll hold this to me. No, God, you can't have that. You're never going to grow and develop. God wants us to hold nothing back. He wants us to lay our lives the whole of our lives on the table and says Lord accept me for who I am because the more we give the more we receive back this plays out in church community Uh, I remember uh, arriving at uh, one of my churches and I got to know this person and and he said to me after a few weeks he said you know I I don't really belong to this church and I I said why? he said well I've been trying to be involved uh, well sort of And he said, uh, I just don't feel I belong. So I said, how long have you been coming? He said, 23 years. And I said, and what have you given in to receive back? He said, nothing. I expect to be just receiving. He didn't want to give. Maybe uh, I've come across people who've tried life groups or fellowship groups. They didn't quite connect, so they didn't bother any further. The measure you use, the measure you give back. We can talk in life of church membership. You know, uh, being on the fringe and not willing to commit into that. The measure you give, the measure you'll get back. The more blessing it will be. Those on the edge of uh, the church in baptism. Well, I I really want to do it, but I'm not quite sure. The measure you give, the more you'll get back. That is the promise. That's what always happens. What about where you are in your own uh, life with Jesus? The more you give, the more you'll get back. What is God saying to you today? Jesus is saying, "This is how it works in the kingdom of God." It's interesting that C.S. Lewis, on uh, the final page of a book—if you've never read it, it's worth reading—which um, is uh, *The Mere Christianity*. On the final page, he says this: "The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give of yourself." And you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death. Death of your ambitions and favourite wishes every day. And death of your whole body in the end. Submit every fibre of your being. You will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Find what? Well, what do you do you do with light, truth and life? The more you have, the more faith you have, the more you believe him, the impossible becomes possible. There is a warning here. If you're not willing to do that, you will lose it. Uh, It's quite interesting that uh, if you're hearing the truth but not responding to the truth, that opportunity to respond will grow smaller and smaller and smaller. And God challenges us to respond. What about that second parable? Well, run out of time. Set forth. Simply, I think the main thing about the second parable of the seed is that you know, in the kingdom, God is in control. And we should not forget that. Wherever we are in our personal lives, and our relationship with Jesus, God is always in control. He never leaves us or f- forsakes us. And that is the great truth. I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to sing again. And we're going to sing a song that we've always, we've already sung, which is uh, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. Quite often we finish a service with a a great hymn of worship to, to go out there. But I just feel really led that we should be singing that again. Just allow and meditate on the word again as we sing that. And we'll remain seated. And just allow God to speak in and through our lives. And know that his presence is here. So if the group would like to come up as I, as I pray. Thank you. Father God, we, we thank you that you are the Lord who is in control of all things. Lord, we bring ourselves before you, we come into your presence, and we know that we have a responsibility to elevate the light. It's so much easier at times, Lord, in the situations we find ourselves to simply put it under a bushel, put it under a pot. But Lord, we just pray that you will reflect and shine through our lives, through our living, through our actions, through the words that we say, through the conversations that we will have in this coming week. And we just pray, Lord, that you will speak into the situations we will find ourselves in. And as we come before you now, as we come in a minute, as we uh, sing this song again, we pray as we come into your presence that your light will shine in and through. Reveal that which needs healing. Reveal that which needs to be dealt with. That we may be the people you'd want us to be. That we may hold nothing back and live for you. Lord, we offer you ourselves. Now, in the name of Jesus. Amen.